Good evening, Godspeak family. Uh, those who are uh, aware of what's coming around the corner on Monday, the law that they're thinking about doing the AB 455, a transportation bill uh, up in Sacramento that they're turning into a vaccine mandate bill for the entire state. So uh, if you haven't been praying about that, be praying about that. People were contacting and um, their representatives and getting the word out. You know, I used to have to go to Africa with Pastor Craig when I wanted excitement, but now I just come to California, hang out with you guys, and pretty soon it's just going to be like a third world country. It'll be cool, be dodging around. When I was in India years ago, we were going to dedicate these churches, but this uh, radical Hindu group was after us, so we couldn't post the times, so we had to just like, the church waited from six in the morning till 10 at night until we got there. They just had to wait all day. And then we would just show up, dedicate the building, and then leave. And uh, then they'd tell us, well, they didn't catch you, but they're, you know, when the, the wife goes down to the well tomorrow morning, she's probably going to get beat up by all the women. And uh, the pastor will get beat up uh, because we came to town to do those things. And, and when you're used to traveling the world and being in, in uh, unusual circumstances, but you're, you're used to... American freedom, and we want to share just from God's word. We want to bring some hope that the Lord's in charge, even though it seems like everything's uh, the wheels are coming off. If you didn't bring a Bible, our service team has some uh, Bibles back there. Just raise your hand, they'll get one to you. And we are going to be looking at, we're reading through, if you haven't, you know, Jesus told us that. Um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if, the thing that constantly will strengthen your faith is reading his word, because we see in incredible circumstances how God always comes through for his people. And so we're reading through God's word through two years, and we are in 1 Samuel, and our message is going to come from there. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to make your way to 1 Samuel chapter 15, which is going to be our starting place for our message, the preacher and the president. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, have a difficulty with preachers being actually in tune with what's going on in the world and being relevant and trying to share a biblical perspective with their congregations. And yet, we wanna sh I want to share with you that this has been a precedent through from Genesis to Revelation that God's servants, God gives them platforms to be able to speak into whatever generation they're involved with, and so often to political leaders, which back in the ancient times, you know, it's, it's prophets and kings. But the title of my message is relevant because of the things that we're talking about all the time here at God Speak, the preacher and the president. And as I share about things and we look at failed leadership and we are looking at, uh, honestly, you guys, just looking at in my lifetime being 56, uh, the first guy I got to vote for, which is, you know, kind of off the chart, I had to live through Jimmy Carter, so I paid for the first time uh, over a dollar a gallon when Jimmy Carter with the inflation that was going on. But I got a vote for Ronald Reagan as soon as I turned of age. And so I have never seen an administration with such bad leadership in my lifetime. Honestly, I think it'll go down as President Biden will be the worst president in American history. And uh, not, only, not only him, but he surrounded himself with all similar people, right? And uh, with in incredible incompetence. And these things, people are like, hey, you're a preacher. Uh, you're supposed to be praying for them. I am praying for them. That God does a real miracle and delivers us from them is what I'm praying for. <laughs> and... But the reality is, is that 
we as God's people are salt and light, and we are to be involved in the fabric of all of culture and all of society. We're to be a part of that. We're to be a voice that is praying, that is preaching. And as we're sharing the gospel and sharing the hope that's in Jesus Christ and baptizing 53 people just two weeks ago and just celebrating people coming to Christ, at the same time we're preaching Christ and him crucified, we're also declaring, hey, this is what's going on. We sent out the urgent live stream last night about this bill, uh, AB 455, that could possibly be voted on on Monday and that are just (laughs) shrinking up our liberty. You know, Ronald Reagan said this, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) He said, that's the most terrifying words in the English language. And we're seeing that, right? They're helping us with what they're doing as they limit our freedoms, as they uh, want to pass these vaccine mandates and force our young children to wear a mask for seven or eight hours of school. But Ayn Rand said this, And obviously she didn't write it today because it would have a different, not in a future tense, but a present tense. We are fast approaching the stage of the ultimate inversion. The stage where the government is free to do anything it pleases while the citizens may act only by permission, which is the stage of the darkest periods of human history, the stage of rule by brute force. This was written years ago, but it has arrived now in the present especially on the West Coast, as we see in Washington, Oregon, California, leading the way with this oppression. And that's why we're praying for the uh, September 14th recall. Amen? (laughs) But just so that, you know, we're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and the wisdom is to see in a penetrated way through what they're trying to do with this AB 455 bill, is they're trying to get it through legislation, through the legislature, before a new governor, a conservative governor, gets in the post because once it's law, you, he won't be able to change it. He won't be able to reverse it. And that's why you have to hide it under the guise of this transportation bill. Well, we want to look at, in our Bible reading for this week, which was First Samuel chapter 12 through 17, we want to stand and read from chapter 15 as we see a leader that fails miserably. Stand with me. We're going to read verse 15, starting at verse 10 here in chapter 15 as we look at leadership failure of King Saul. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself, so proud of himself. And he has gone on around, uh, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I think uh, in the Hebrew it's shut up. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, 
When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Father, we ask that your spirit would illuminate your word as we look at the history of your people and your servants as they spoke into a culture, spoke to governmental leadership, was a voice. And Lord, as we seek to do that, we pray for humility and grace to do it and truth and love to do it. But we pray that you would give us courage and boldness in these um, unsettling times. Fill us with faith, Lord, and lift and remove the fear far from us, Lord, that we might be courageous for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. In this incredible story, the Lord had given King Saul a command to go. Now, he had already blown it in his second year uh, in chapter 13. He, he offered a sacrifice, and he wasn't a priest, so he wasn't supposed to do that. So he got himself in trouble, and right then the Lord told him in chapter 13, uh, you've blown it, I would have established your kingdom, but now I'm going to go look for a man that's after my own heart, which we know he's referring to King David down the road. And, and here's a, just another topper, his, his stubbornness, his rebellion, wanting to do whatever Saul wanted to do, and then blaming everybody else for the debacle, for the mess of it. Does that sound familiar with any failed leadership recently? Right? Can you believe what's going on in Afghanistan and our people and, and what's happening there? And the lack of resolve, the lack of resolve to go in there and get our people at whatever cost, the American citizens. But uh, 82,000 uh, foreign people have been able to be brought back. And it's like, I, I, I don't, the, ma- the mystery to me, it's just a mystery we don't have an immigration problem on the southern border. We have a massive invasion, 1.1 million people just invading across the border, just walking through like nothing even happened. So there's no legitimate leadership to protect the nation and the citizens, whether they're domestically or abroad. It's unbelievable in the failed leadership. And no questions, no ability to respond, and if so, it's, you know, it's really just the people's fault. They should have got out. <laughs> Let's blame everybody else. But whether it's at the military leadership, everybody knows what it takes to get our people out. And yet, leaving behind billions of dollars of American equipment. Did you see the Taliban reenacting the Marine moment there with the flag of Iwo Jima? It just, it's unheard of. Can you imagine it happening on anybody else's watch that loved this nation and loved its people. Can you imagine it? You just can't even fathom it. 
And yet to be so bold and to declare that, even as we see here, Samuel is the prophet, Samuel is the preacher. He looks at the king and his failed botch mission that he had, and he calls him out on it and said, hey man, you've blown it. And the Lord has said, your kingdom is not gonna continue, or your kingship, the kingdom's gonna continue on. But he tells him something important that I think that all leaders, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you know, I was surprised, frankly, that, that Biden, he got himself in trouble right into the presidency with his own priests, because Joe's Catholic, right? And because of his pro-abortion stance, they're censoring him. He was scheduled to, it's been a historic thing where presidents go and they speak at the commencement at Notre Dame, and yet he was basically not welcome at Notre Dame. He's being censored. He's being rebuked by his own priests, by his own uh, religious organization, the Roman Catholic Church. And yet he blows it off like nothing. The same with Nancy Pelosi. She's Catholic, but they're, they're not welcome to have communion, either one of them. The Catholic Church has announced, right? You're, you're, you're not going to have communion because you're pro-abortion. At every turn, we see when there are people that don't have the fear of the Lord, that they don't have a respect for the Lord and really a love for the nation, what can happen in only seven months? Seven months. Not seven years. Even the British Parliament went on record to rebuke the President of the United States, which is a very rare thing. The Brits are pretty stiff-lipped, right? But this happens at that place. Here in this passage of Scripture, here is a preacher bringing this about and letting him know a couple of simple things. First of all, the Lord was holding him accountable and he said to obey is better than sacrifice. You know, you can promise, and this is a human tendency. Think about this. So often when we know we are disobedient, we might say, oh, I'm gonna give more in the offering. Right, we might make a sacrifice. But all the Lord really wants is your obedience. Right, he says to heed is better than sacrifice. It's better than the fat of rams. And as a matter of fact, to be rebellious against the Lord is like witchcraft. And if you know much about the Bible, the Bible's not too pro-witchcraft, tarot cards, uh, mediums of any sort. And yet, when we are rebellious, when we are resistant of the Lord's work, that stubbornness inside of us is like idolatry. What do you mean like idolatry? If we're stubborn, who are we worshiping? We're worshiping our own will that we want our way. We put it first over God. That's what was happening to Saul. And Samuel, the preacher, brings it home. In verse 24 of chapter 15, he says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. So whose fault is it? It's the people's fault, right? It's the poll numbers. Well, the polls say, you know, this is, people are not favorable towards this, or I'm afraid of what the people are going to think. And you know, and I know, that anytime we're driven by the fear of whatever others think, oftentimes we're not making the right decisions. But once again, he says, I've sinned, but it's really the people's fault. That's, that's kind of the, that's the Saul two-step. It's kind of the Washington two-step too. <laughs> yes, I'm responsible, but those people should have left anyway. 
Verse 26, but Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. He ripped the preacher's jacket, if you will. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. One who will love and honor and one will be obedient. He's not a perfect man. No man, no woman are perfect. But David, the difference between David, when David was busted with his sin, he repented, he came clean, and he didn't blame anybody. He just said, it's me. It's all me. And that's why he was a man after God's own heart, even though he was not a perfect man. And why Saul, now the, the, the painfulness for the children of Israel in all of this is that his disobedience, in the second year, the Lord said his, his kingship was not going to continue. He didn't have a four-year term. He didn't have an eight-year term. He had a 40-year term. So they had to put up with his bad leadership. Can you imagine America, if we can, this happens in seven months, what would happen in 40 years? <laughs> we would all be just trying to discover the, the new land of freedom. I was looking this week, and Denmark has removed, you don't, they don't have mass mandates, they don't have vaccine mass mandates, and Sweden never did from the, from the beginning, they never had any mandates. And I'm like, now there's some free people over there. Wouldn't it be crazy if people are getting in boats and trying to get to Sweden, <laughs> trying to get to Denmark, right? Let's go there. <laughs> but <laughs> people will rise up and try to turn their people against their nation's heritage, just like that is happening here, this subversive action that is taking place through socialism. This is the, the playbook that they have, is that you basically have to pit races against each other, you have to pit religions against each other, you have to pit um, uh, all these different economic things, political things, and what you do is you create, this is what PSYOPs are, or what the CIA and uh, other secret service places are famous for in countries, and they topple governments this way. They just go into a culture, they find out all the different perspectives, and then they raise those two opinions, and they have agitators, and then they begin to hate one another, and then they begin to hate their country. And as Jesus said so well, a nation, a kingdom, divided, cannot stand. Right? You, you can't stand. But the next step is there's a good leader on the way. This is the hope. It was the hope for Israel, and that was David, a man after God's own heart. The greatest king in Israel's history is on the heels of a real bad king, one that's constantly disobedient to the Lord. It says in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 4, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from, being, for, from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Not only is Saul disobedient to the Lord, but he is also a severely jealous guy and he wants to hang on to his kingdom and Samuel knows if the word gets out that I'm going to anoint the next king, that next king is dead and I'm dead. The Lord gives him a plan. We'll just say you're going to the town for a sacrifice and ultimately he anoints young David, the youngest of eight boys. All seven boys go before Samuel and Samuel's standing there and the first one's extremely good looking, Eliab. And he goes, well, in his mind, he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands right before me. And the Lord says, no, don't, don't look on his outward appearance. I, I've rejected him. And he goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And he looks at Jesse, the dad, and he goes, is this all the boys you have? 
And he says, well, I got one more. He's out there watching the sheep. He's the eighth. He's, he's the runt of the litter. He's the youngest. He goes, well, go get him. And it was David. And David came in. I want you guys to know the hope of God's grace throughout biblical history is that when God's people cry out to him and pray for deliverance, he raises up new leadership. This is what we are praying for, right? We're praying for new leadership in our county with the recall of Linda Parks. We're praying for new leadership with Governor Newsom as the governor of California. We're praying for new leadership with President Biden. I, I don't know that how he could even last four years uh, with his capacity. Well, I'm part Part of me, as a son, I just look at him, you know, my dad's 82. I'm like, you know, I, I feel bad for his, his old age, his, his daughtering ways. And uh, to, because he's not a vibrant 78-year-old. I mean, it's, it's somewhat sad. And here's a leader of the free world that the world is getting less free by the moment. And I don't think it's a strange thing for me to say that as a preacher, if you can simply observe it, <laughs> if the British Parliament's talking about it, right? people around the globe are like, what in the world's happened to America? But all of these are peas in the pod. Biden, Pelosi, Newsom, they're all in the same headspace. Progressive leftist agenda. They have two weapons, fill you with fear, COVID, COVID, COVID. Now here's the Delta, Delta. I got the alert. Now it's the Lambda. The Lambda's here. I was like, it's the flu. Can you imagine every year for your whole life going through the flu? It's the Delta. It's the Lambda. It's COVID-19. <laughs> it's like the flu for heaven's sakes. Right? Unless there's a targeted age group with, with health problems, that's where the focus prevention should be. Not on the 99% of people that are healthy and normal and should be able to have freedom to go to the store, to go to a movie, to go to a restaurant, to go wherever without a vaccine card. But do you think the vaccine card's really the deal? No, it's not really the deal. Because a card's not gonna be sufficient, you know that, right? It's gonna have to have a QR code be on your phone. You know, the Bible says in the last days, there's a political leader that's gonna rise up and he's gonna get that QR code, if you will, onto your right hand or your forehead. And you're not gonna be able to buy or sell anything until that happens. The Bible says this is coming. The Bible's already laid it out. How many steps from having a thing on our phone to on our hands since I can't buy or sell? I can't even go into a restaurant if, they, if the vaccine mandate happens. Isn't it strange how accelerated the end times that we are? Now we're gonna fight like crazy peacefully with our words and with you know, the resources that we have we in no way advocate any kind of violence, only peaceful protests with our voices. But isn't it true that, uh, I, I mean, it's, I say it laughing and giggling, but it's dead serious. There's, there's probably jail time in my future. Nelson Mandela being in jail because of apartheid. Solzhenitsyn in the gulags in Russia. Political prisoners. Joseph Bondarenko, just up at Santa Barbara, eight years in the prisons. And when we look at this, it's so mind-blowing. Saul, this king, 
at the end of his life, the last time he interacted with David, this is what he said. And I believe this is the best epitaph. You ever go, I used to work at a cemetery. I worked at a cemetery for three years. I actually sandblasted the headstones. So I'd do the artwork and sandblast, the death date, the birth date, and the, and the sayings, like the scripture or the quote. But this, I always imagine this as Saul's epitaph. Here's this monument and this is what he says with his own words in 1 Samuel 26, 21. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. I have been a big fool. Can you imagine saying that at the end of your life? I have been one big fat fool and I have erred exceedingly. Because he not only constantly rebelled against the Lord, he constantly tried to kill David. He was always trying to pin David to the wall. Proverbs 29, 2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. Praise the Lord, Right? We're so excited when somebody wins. And I tell you what, it doesn't take much to excite us anymore because the good news we've been getting so little, it just, it's, give us crumbs, man. Woohoo! We're so excited, right? The, the smallest things make us excited. That's some desperate people looking for some crumbs of good news. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Do it with me. Oh, bummer. Judges 5.2 says, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. I want you guys to know that you are a church filled with people like this. You guys are involved. You are communicating. You're sharing with your friends. You're going to school board meetings. You're going to city council meetings. You're going to supervisor meetings. You guys are rock stars because you are stepping up. There are people that are moving in ways. And the church should always be on the leading edge of what is offering the world hope in the forgiveness through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as the only means for salvation, who sets us free with liberty. So we truly know what it means to be free, spiritually free. But then as American citizens, to know what our liberty and know what our heritage is and to scrap and fight for that every inch of it. You see, the Lord has created these three institutions. And because of this, we should be able to move fluidly through each one of these. First, he created the family. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. He created the church. In the Old Testament, it was the temple. But in the New Testament, it's the church, Matthew 16, 18. And then he created government, both back and starting in Genesis 9, 6. And then uh, delineated or described in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. God created government so that there's, and, and people will say, even a bad leader is worse than no leader. Because when you have no leader, you have warlords and thugs. Just look at Somalia. If you want to look at a, a country that has no centralized government, they have warlords. And depending on where you're at, the thugs run everything. And they bomb the UN, who are just basically trying to give people food and medicine. I mean, it's like a crazy place over there. But because God has created all three of these things, he's organized government He's organized the family. He's organized the church that we should be able to fluidly move into any one of these areas as salt and light and as Christians. And we have this rhetoric that we hear that people on the left want to somehow silence Christians and silence preachers and, and that we can't have a voice. And they always bring up separation of church and state. Well, do you even know the context? First of all, it was just a letter from President Jefferson at the time, and it was in reference to a question letter that he received in 1801. He writes back the letter in 1802 from the Danbury Baptist Association. 
And when he said that there was a separation between church and state, he was not saying that Christians and churches and preachers should not influence the state. He was saying there's a hard line, there's a wall where the state will not mess with God's people. That's what he was saying. Look at this in context. He picks it up here, and this is his answer to the Danbury Baptist Association, who felt like in their, uh, I think they were from Connecticut, felt the government leaders were acting like the freedom that you have to worship is uh, dictated by the legislature. And they're saying, that's not true. We have this constitution. And so he says, make no law respecting, he's quoting the First Amendment, Make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So he starts with the Constitution. Thus building a wall, he continues on, of separation between church and state, adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience. He said, no man can rule your conscience. And the First Amendment gives you total freedom to worship the Lord according to your conscience. Our First Amendment gives that to you, and thus there is a wall of separation that the state may not invade that. The state may make no laws to stop us doing what we're doing. And we were really curious whether the Supreme Court, who is under tremendous pressure, actually came through and gave us that freedom with an incredible decision for the churches in California. So even if they get this AB 455 pass, the one place that you can come with no vaccine card is where? Here. Woo! We're going to start doing dinner and takeout and have a gym and like we're going to have our own little, uh, I almost said I'm from, my, our own private little Idaho. I'm from Idaho. <laughs> so we need a bigger space to be able to do that, right? Because now you'll be isolated. You can go get some gas station at the pump as long as you don't have to interact with someone and you can go to the grocery store. You may not do anything else. Not only not without a mask, but without a vaccine card. And the card won't be enough because you know people are gonna be doing counterfeit cards and so they're gonna put it more connected and it'll be connected not only to your car, your vaccine pass, all your medical records, all your finances, everything right there on the little Q card, Q, uh, QR code, so that they can begin to control and move us towards that cashless society. Well, not to fear, the Lord has removed one bad leader before. We're praying that he removes another bad leader and in a whole administration and see what God and his grace does. But it's never over till it's over, right? So, God and his grace will help us. Now, I want to just rehearse a little history with the time that I have remaining, just to mention the Lord's, from Genesis to Revelation, God's servants, preachers, prophets, have spoken into government issues. And oftentimes got ourselves in trouble. That's why I said, you know, I mean, there's probably some, <laughs> Rob and I will be uh, cellmates. <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll see, uh, Michael will be preaching. <laughs> we'll see what happens. But we want to talk about our prayers and our preaching because it's so important for you, us all to have a biblical framework so that when people throw this kind of stuff at you, you guys are doing the wrong thing or this, you have biblical precedent. Because as long as you're standing squarely in the center of God's word and his will, it produces confidence. I'm not going out on a limb. I'm not being crazy. I'm doing exactly what God's servants have done forever. Now, first of all, this is our prayer life. This is what Paul told us to pray. 
In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so presidents, governors, county supervisors, everybody that's in authority, and this is our goal. We're praying for them that they would be good leaders for us so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Isn't that what you want? You just want a peaceful life. Hey, I'm just taking my kids to soccer practice. I'm just, you know, working in the garden with my friend. I'm just enjoying my job. We're peaceful, quiet people. It's not like we're rabble-rousers. We're, we're, we're not causing problems. We just want a peaceful, quiet life. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, and this is the goal, so that we can lead a peaceful and quiet life who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If, if we could focus on just telling people about Jesus' love without all of this distraction, that would be our goal. Right? That's the goal. Is just tell people about God's love, teach the Bible, and that's what I've been doing for 30 years. I have never been political. I mean, I have personally been very political, but never as a preacher. But all the, the gloves are off now. We've got to be full in, right? Amen. <clears throat> and so in this New Testament sense, we are still kings and priests, people that God has given authority to. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. That's what Jesus said. And that was an accurate statement. He said, and I give it to you. We have authority that Jesus has given us. It tells us in Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father. He has made us kings and priests. You and I get our royalty to be able to be useful for God's kingdom. Every person has a voice. Every person has a sphere of influence, small or great, whatever it might be, all of us can make a difference. And that's the difference between the New Testament church, which was a grassroots movement that everybody looked at themselves as a servant of God. And the, the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean. Now, this takes us back. Not only in Revelation are we kings and priests declared that, but even Father Abraham that led the way in faith for you and I, do you know that he was a warrior and a prophet? <laughs> when his family was taken, say, in his Afghanistan moment, check this out, in Genesis 14, verses 14 through 16, it says, now when Abram heard that his brother, it just, they don't, it, it's his uh, nephew actually, Lot, was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went and pursued as far as Dan, that's up in northern Israel. He divided his forces against them by night, this is like SEAL Team 6 commando action, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So it's in, you know, the Middle East in that region. So he brought back all the goods, also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. When he heard his family was captured, he went all commando. Like he had 318 armed servants because he was a very wealthy man. These are all his servants. He had trained them all. They were all, I mean, trained in, in war stuff because when they're armed and dangerous and then they split their forces up at night and they went after, now this battle was with four kings against five kings and one of them lost. So he was going against multiple kings, which were actually city-states. City so it'd be a mayor that is a mayor warrior type. And Abraham totally went for it. I was on the live stream last week with Victor Marks, who is... Uh, 
his ministry is amazing as this soldier, and they go into the most dangerous places, and they had people, a family of eight that they were trying to get out, which they ultimately did get out, but they are in contact with all of these places, and they, they rescue women and children from sex trafficking and different things. In Iraq, they have rescued 43,000 women and that have come out of that, you know, because when things are, there's poverty, and things are war-torn, the ladies and the children, they're the ones that suffer the worst. It's, it's awful, awful. And he said that the resolve is so, he said the plan is so simple. We could get these people out. He's a soldier, and he hangs with special forces guys all the time. He said, but nobody has any, any resolve to do the right thing. He said, honestly, they have no stomach for it. If you're a soldier and you want to rescue good people from bad people, you got to smoke some bad guys. Now, I know in some churches that just, oh, I'm from Idaho. I said, yeah, let's smoke some bad guys, right? War is an ugly thing. You can't, I mean, you can't go through your Sunday school experience like, oh, no bad things. Are, these are terrible things that are happening in the world. Little kids, women, who will stand up and be a defender? Where are the men of God that actually have some guts and some brass instead of this spineless, wimpy, milquetoast version of Christianity that makes me want to vomit? It's unbelievable. Men are designed to be warriors. Men are designed to stand up and defend those who are vulnerable. And if they don't, they, they're not worth their salt. And yet, wh what do you hear from the churches? across America, they're like silent. COVID's happening, let's just close the doors for two years. That's how we're gonna love our neighbor, just let them be isolated. It's unbelievable to me that people are worried about a mask mandate, they're worried about a vaccine that's, I mean, for a flu, and there's a million people pouring across the southern border and our people are over there in Afghanistan and literally America's visibility on the, the world stage is just being decimated with ridicule and rightly so. And there's nobody. And anybody that could stand up and lead is canceled and shut up and censored, right? Taken off Twitter, whatever. And... You know, I feel a little bit like Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the great reformer of 500 years ago. He said, I never do anything well until I get good and mad. And I don't know about any of you. It's one thing to be scared. It's another thing to be mad, right? And sometimes it's not righteous indignation and I have to pray and have the Lord channel it a little bit more <laughs> fruitfully, right? Because I have a microphone in a pulpit. I can't just go blah. So I want you to know how much restraint I'm exercising you might be thinking, I can't believe you said all that stuff. You have no idea what I'm holding back. <laughs> okay. Abraham had 318 armed soldiers. Man, he was a warrior king, if you will, a leader, Father Abraham. In Genesis 20, verse 7, it says, 
he's talking to Abimelech. Abraham had lied about his wife, saying, well, half lied. She's his half-sister. And Abimelech took her into his harem, but he hadn't had sexual relations with her. And so the Lord basically brought this plague to Abimelech's house and talked to Abimelech in a dream. And then when he wakes up, Abimelech's like, hey, God, I, I didn't know. You, you know, I, I didn't know. And God says, I know you didn't know. But this is what I want you to do. He says, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. Abraham's not only the father of faith, he is an incredible warrior that rescues the people that he loves, but he's also a prophet to a pray for a guy that the Lord will restore their household after he's the one that blew it. He's not a perfect guy. He was, he was the, in the wrong, and he still said, well, he's a prophet, though. You've got to have him pray for you. I, if I was a Bimelech, I'm like, why would I want him to pray for me? I mean, the guy just lied to me, you know, gave me his wife, and I can't imagine that. Can you imagine that conversation with Abra- Abraham and Sarah that night in the tent? You know how, how well that went? That would have been very exciting, but it wasn't his first offense. He had done it one other time. So Daniel when he was a servant of the Lord, and he's the preacher and the president, if you will, the king, Belshazzar, who took over for Nebuchadnezzar, he's having this big party, and Belshazzar decides to basically, how do you flip the Lord the bird? He says, go get all of the golden vessels we took out of his temple, and we're going to have a big party. So they took the golden vessels that were in the temple, and they were partying down. They had this big thing going on, and in the middle of this party, they're all lit up, and there's this huge wall, and a hand just shows up in the air and starts writing on the wall. Now, can you imagine how many, what's in this stuff I'm drinking, right? I, I haven't dropped any acid lately, right? It looks on the, and there's this hand, and the hand's just writing on the wall, and it says that Belshazzar's uh, hips were loosed in his socket to where his knees begin to knock together, because he is so freaked out by seeing the hand. Now, I don't know if you've ever been terrified, but I've had that happen to me where I just, I mean, literally, you're kind of coming unglued, and your knees are knocking together. And nobody can, the astrologers, the astronomers, n- none, of these, none of these people can interpret because it's a foreign language. Nobody knows what it means. Meanie, meanie, tackle you farson. And so Nebuchadnezzar's wife, Nebuchadnezzar's off the scene, so it's the mother comes in and says, hey, you know, there's this, this prophet, this preacher, and he will come and speak to you and he'll interpret that. His name's Daniel. So Daniel says this as he interprets Daniel 5, 25 through 28 is a preacher speaks to a president, so to speak. This is the inscription that was written, meaning, meaning, tekel you farson. That is the interpretation of each word, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And the next couple of verses say, and he died that night because he was killed. Here's a preacher that came, and, and uh, Belshazzar said, I'll give you a gold necklace, I'll give you a purple robe, and you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's like, you can keep your gold chain, your purple robe, and third ruler, because you're dying, dude, tonight. He said, you've been weighed in the balances. You are found wanting. As far as a leader, you are a lightweight, and you're done. All through biblical history, God puts the right person to preach the right message at the right time in the face of the right person that is in charge. And to bring about that influence. Now, just briefly, you mentioned John the Baptist, the same thing. John the Baptist, he called out King Herod because Herod was in an adulterous relationship with his half-brother Philip's wife, Herodias. That's kind of tangled, right? 
So he shacked up with her. And so John the Baptist just preaches. He just calls him out. He says, hey, dude, it's not right that you have Philip's wife. What's up with that? So Herodias gets offended. Oh, I'm so offended that you're calling us adulterer. Well, that's what you are. And so he throws John in prison. And so when um, his uh, daughter's birthday, I mean, Herodias' daughter, dances this elaborate dance, very seductive, you know, barely dressed dance in front of her mother's boyfriend. He's like, oh, wow, I'm so impressed. I'll give you up to half your, my kingdom. And so she goes to her mother, Herodias, and says, what do you want? She says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod was kind of bummed because he feared, you know, God a little bit. And he's like, ah, I think this is God's servant. He, he seems to speak for God. But okay. So he spits the servant. They chop off his head and they bring the platter. The girl for her birthday present got a prophet, a preacher's head on a platter. That's where the phrase comes, his head on a platter. And so then they took that head on the platter, the girl did, and she took it to Herodias, her mom, because that's what her mother wanted. Sometimes the preacher's head ends up on the platter. But it's hard to threaten us with heaven. John's, <laughs> John's in heaven, right? Boop. I think if I was going to get killed, the, you know, the beheading would be a quick way to go. Right, not all drawn out, drug out. Unless it was an amateur, it's his first time. I would really be bummed if they have a little trainee tag, you know, when you get to the restaurant and they have the train. Hey, they're in training today. I'm like, dude, is the sword sharp? <laughs> you know, sorry, I, I digress. <laughs> Jesus, when this same King Herod that had, you see, John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. When, when the same King Herod was looking for Jesus and the, the uh, Pharisees told Jesus, you better get out of Dodge because Herod's looking for you to kill you, Jesus rebukes him. And, you know, Jesus is not known. I mean, he's a truth talker, but not, not really talking trash. But he says in Luke chapter 13, verse 32, go tell that fox. Jesus is insulting Herod. He's saying, you go tell that fox, that female vixen. Right? Jesus is being really strong. And, there, and a little later in chapter 23 of Luke, verse 9, he's excited to see Jesus because he hear, heard about all his miracles. And it says that he questioned him with many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. There is nobody that asked Jesus anything that Jesus did not respond except one person in all the New Testament, King Herod. It is a sad thing when the God of heaven that is filled with love, forgiveness, Grace and mercy has no word for a hard heart that wants nothing to do with God. He had reached that place that we would call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. God has nothing left to say to him. What a sad day. And yet the preacher speaking to the kings, into the king's life, in, I guess, in the loudest way, no words whatsoever. Now, time is escaping us, talking about Paul as he talked to Felix and Drusilla, Paul as he preached before Festus and King Agrippa and Bernice, John because he was preaching the word of God and ends up in exile. So moving forward, I mentioned early as we wrap it up, Martin Luther. Do you know that this year, 500 years ago, 1521, the great reformer Martin Luther in Germany that has attributed the whole Reformation movement, though there were some others, obviously, that were key in that period of time, it is, I, I find it odd that this year is 500 years. 2021, now on April 18th, earlier this year, would have been the exact day where he went before, he, he, he gave this epic, historic, famous speech 
because they're telling him to recant because he put 95 things, it's called the 95 Thesis, that he nailed to the Wittenberg Catholic Church door, 95 things that the Catholic Church was doing that was unbiblical. And so they wanted him to recant from those 95 things. Well, he, I mean, he looked at Scripture, and this is, this is what Scripture said. So he goes at the imperial diet in worms. Now, a diet is not what you're on currently, right? Your gluten-free diet. A diet is a gathering of government leaders or a gathering of religious leaders. So next time you hear that Rick's on a diet because I don't go on diets, you'll know I'm in front of some people and I'm in trouble, right? The diet, <laughs> the diet of Thousand Oaks or whatever it might be. But he says this about halfway through, if you could catch it, it's gonna come up here. He says this, they've asked him to recant. There's a number 11 there because he has 11 points to his answer. And at the end, in the middle of this paragraph, he says, if then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture, by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. And here's his famous line. Here I stand, I can do, cannot do otherwise. God help me, amen. He's not going to recant. He's not going to back off to the liberty and the freedom that he had in Jesus that he had discovered by faith because he had discovered from Romans uh, chapter 1 that through faith, the just shall live by faith. And he's like, I'm not backing off that. You know, I think there's that diet of worms, which is, they, they, the Germans pronounce a, a W as a V, worms, so it's the diet of worms. But there's that moment in our lives where, you know what, the things that we're standing for, my conscience bears witness that this is the right thing for me. I'm not trying to push my conscience on somebody else, that each one of you get to choose, but for my conscience, here I stand, I can do no other. God help me, amen. Paul the Apostle has that kind of moment because everybody's prophesying that he's gonna be in chains and prison and that's what was awaiting him. And, and he, he tells the elders in Ephesus this in Acts 20, verse 24. It, it's basically wording that is very much like Martin Luther's. He says, none of these things move me. What? Going to prison, chains, or death. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. You know what moves us, guys? Either faith or fear. Faith or fear. That's easy to get afraid, isn't it? We hear all of this stuff and it's ramping up and I'm not gonna be able to do this and the vax cars. In faith, it's exciting because we live in historic times. I've always said, if I had two times that I would love to live, have you ever had this thought? If you could time travel, what other time in history would you like to be alive? For me, I would wanna walk and talk with Jesus. I just want to follow him like a little puppy dog everywhere, right? I just want to see him raise the dead. and I want to hear his voice when he preached. I would want to see his kindness. I, want to, I just would watch like everything. 
That's what I would want to do. But the second choice that I have, and there's a lot of other times in history, the second choice I have is I would like to be alive right now when I believe Jesus is coming again. Because there is a generation, you guys, that the Bible promises in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that shall not sleep or die, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when Jesus comes. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to escape this whole death thing altogether, right? I think that's pretty cool. Now, if I have to die, okay, I'm going to have my own personal little rapture. That's all right. I'm ready. But the reality is not to let these things move us. We have the excitement if we endure, if we do not, and this is what Paul told us, the, current, the Galatians to encourage them. He said, if you don't grow weary in well-doing, you shall reap. We didn't get weary in well-doing as we resisted the government as they tried to shut the church and we were rewarded with the lawsuit being dropped. Amen? Right? We didn't grow weary. But some people could have said, oh, you know, I just, I'm out of here. I can't, you know, I'm freaked out. That's why churches, the church up in San Jose, that they're up to, you know, $4 million in fines, but they won't stop. A church that was down the road from them, when they hit the $200,000 fines for meeting, they capitulated and went back outside and said, yes, sir, yes, sir, whatever you want to do. And they, they just did whatever they were told. And most of the churches never even open. So kudos to them that they were open at least for the $200,000 in fines. But it is a God-given right for us to worship God and to gather together in this liberty. And if they, by force, sometime take it from us, then shame on them. Because Jesus told Paul when he was going to arrest Christians, he said, you're not persecuting them, you're persecuting me. When they mess with God's people, they're messing with Jesus. Because we are the apple of his eye. And if we don't grow weary, you guys, in well-doing, we shall reap. We shall see God lead us into whatever this future is. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future, so I'm okay. Right? So be filled with hope. Be filled with joy in the midst of this sorrow and the struggles that were, are going on. Because God sees, God hears, God knows what's going on. And though he bears long with us, and sometimes he, the Lord, I don't know about you, most of the time, the Lord never moves as fast as I want him to, but he's never late. He's just right, just right there, right on time. I'm like, you know, I could have slept for five nights if I knew that moment was coming, right? It's just like right there. He's saying, I'm coming through. The just shall live by faith, and we have to live by faith through these times. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We pray that you would fill us with an incredible hope that is supernatural, Lord. We know that it's not from us, that it's from your spirit. So Lord, would you take our hearts now? Would you fill them with the truth of your word? Would you help us in a way that uh, only you can, Lord? And Lord, we pray together and we agree together. Lord, would you intervene in this AB 455? Lord, would you put a stop to this however you would deem um, necessary, Lord? We, We... If there's something we can do, we don't know. Lord, give us wisdom, but we pray that you would intervene. We pray that you would intervene in this recall election. Lord, that there would be a fair and honest election and not all the election fraud. Lord, we pray that you would raise up, whether it's Larry Elder, somebody that is is a, a bulldog for liberty. Lord, that we might be free. Lord, we pray for our county supervisors that you would 
bring people as elected officials that love liberty and for the city councils. And Lord, would you free our backyard, Lord? We pray for Ventura County. Lord, we pray that this would be a refuge, that this would be a fortress, that this would be a place of, of liberty in the midst of such darkness in California, that people, instead of wanting to flee the state, would want to come here, Lord, because of the liberty that you grant us. And Lord, you said nothing's too hard for you. Nothing's impossible for you. All things are possible with you. And so, Lord, we look to you and we stand on your promises like the children of Israel coming into the promised land. You said, everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to give to you. And so, Lord, would you help us and would you raise up a whole army of people that love Jesus and love liberty and love our nation. Lord, we trust you to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing this closing song. Amen.